Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. So in his short story, uh, The Capital of the World, Ernest Hemingway tells the story about a father and his son, Paco. Well, Paco is a very common name in Spanish, but this particular Paco had a falling out with his father. They had a relationship early in their lives, but it began to separate. They began to experience this rift because Paco wanted to become a world-famous matador. So eventually, after all of the disruption and the argument and the division between the two, Paco heads out for Madrid. Well, his father goes after him. He tries to keep up with him. He's lost him for a while, and in desperation, the father goes to the newspaper and takes out an ad in the newspaper. It reads, Dear Paco, Meet me tomorrow in front of the newspaper office at noon. All is forgiven. I love you. Well, he went to bed that night, and the next day he rose, and at noon he went to see if his son would show up in front of the newspaper office at noon. To his surprise, he arrived to find 800 Pacos who had read the ad and out of their own desire and desperation showed up to make amends with somebody. You know, all of us at some level, sometime, somewhere, we know the experience of Paco. I mean, we we have a falling out. Something goes wrong. The thing happens. And it may be with a business partner or, I don't know, a, a teammate a fiancé, a spouse, a child, a parent, maybe a sibling. And everything may have seemed to be going well for some time, and then the thing happened. The words were spoken, the, the deed was done, the boundary was crossed, a, a, a kind of trust was violated. And then there's this, this sea of emotions that come, anger and resentment and hatred even, if gone unchecked or unexamined. But then something happens. After a while, when the dust settles and then the the sea of emotions begins to ebb away, when the flood of fury begins to abate, we find ourselves, well, like, like Paco, desiring for something to be mended, to be put back together, to go back 
to the way it used to be. In short, what we're all really hoping for in the end is to reconcile. So the definition of reconcile means to take two persons or parties and bring them into harmony after they have been separated. If I wanted to, to summarize the, the action of the entire message of the gospel of Jesus, it, it's this, it's to reconcile. And that's the way the Apostle Paul described what God was up to in Christ, reconciling the whole of creation back to God. Listen to these amazing words. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Although we, we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we no longer know him that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation Everything old has passed away, and behold, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to become sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ, this is what God was up to all along, reconciling humankind with God in a brand new harmony. But notice how, how great the scope of that work is. In the text that we just read, we understand that God reconciled humankind back to God. But on top of that, then God gives to the reconciled the work of reconciliation. He entrusts to the reconciled the ministry of participating with God in the ongoing reconciliation of the world. That means in our hands, it is possible to bring together into harmony those who have been separated. In, in one sense, it happens to big groups. I mean, there are two kind of levels that reconciliation happens in Christ. On one level, it's, it's like groups are reconciled. At, at the time, the two groups who were most diametrically opposed in the audience of Paul would have been Jews and Gentiles. These two groups so oriented their lives differently that they thought differently, they worshiped differently. They believed differently. They oriented their families, the rhythms of their life differently. And in, in some ways, well, one group would refer to the other as unclean. And yet these two, 
have become one in Christ. Listen to the way that Paul describes what Christ does to bring groups together into harmony. Listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter 2. For he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and its ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in the place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile, might reconcile, bring into harmony both groups to God in one body through this cross, thus putting to death any hostility through it. Thus putting to death hostility itself. This is the power of reconciliation between peoples, right? Have you ever known a time in your own journey when the world needed the reconciled to stand up and take part in the ongoing work of reconciling the world of removing dividing walls so that two kinds of humanities become one new humanity in Christ. Now, while you and I don't don't speak a lot about, you know, the differences between Jews and Gentiles these days, while that's not the, the biggest example of the people groups who are separated, I mean, in Paul's day, he he spoke clearly about Christ bringing together Jew and Gentile, slave and free, Uh, male and female. But today, you and I understand what the divisions are because we see them all the time. We feel them. We do talk about liberal and conservative, uh, Democrat and Republican, gay and straight, male and female, old and young, wealthy and poor, black and white. And yet in the midst of a world filled with dichotomies, with dyads of people groups pitted against one another. I can't think of a better time for the reconciled of God to actually rise up and live out our calling to be reconcilers in this broken world. But here's the trouble. As much as we would want to participate in bringing people groups together, as much as we want to participate in the healing of a neighborhood, a nation, a world, the problem is you can't participate in global reconciliation if you have unreconciled relationships in your own heart. So Paul in Romans puts it this way. If it is possible... Inasmuch as it is up to you, aim to live peaceably with others. (laughs) I love the way he's honest with this text. If it's possible, because he knows some people are impossible to get along with. He knows no matter what you do to try, you try to make peace. And yet there are those who will resist every effort. And he says, if it is possible, inasmuch as it's up to you, aim to live peaceably with others. That's in Romans 12, but later in Romans uh, 18, he puts it a different way. He says, let us then pursue the things that make for peace and for the mutual building up 
of one another. Paul is one of the most honest of all the gospel, all the New Testament writers, because he understands it's the pursuit of it that pleases God. It's the pursuit of attempting to reconcile what has been broken, attempting to bring harmony where there are only dissonant and discordant notes being sung in this world. So what would it mean to pursue making peace in your life? I mean, can you think for just a moment about the person, maybe the people group, maybe the one who said the thing and crossed the line and who left an injury in your heart? What would it, what would it take for you to actually pursue reconciliation with this person? I suggest that it takes at least three kinds of actions and they all begin with re in order to reconcile. The first step to reconciliation is to rewind. So the first step to reconcile a relationship that's been ruptured is to rewind. Really, I mean, to to literally attempt to go back to a time before everything blew up. Can you can you rewind to the place where uh, things were good? The relationship was healthy before the thing was said or the, the thing was done that caused a rift between the two of you. It's not easy work. But can you remember what it was that in the beginning drew you to this friend? What was it that you that you found appealing about their their personality, their strength of character? I'm talking about before they offended you. Maybe maybe you had the same sense of humor, watched the the same Netflix uh, series, right? Maybe you followed the same team and it was it was good. It was fun. And or, or maybe you. You had other things in common. You went to the same school, studied the same major. Or maybe there was something about them that was so strong. You, you valued the boldness of their presence. And that is until their boldness kind of got in the crosshairs of your own. Or, or maybe this person was just somebody you, you just felt safe around. Like you, you could be with them and feel safe, be vulnerable, be who you are until... You took a stand and you said the thing and you held your ground and it so offended them and they so reacted that sometimes you're not sure if you can feel safe around them at all. Can you go back to a time prior? Because reconciliation and forgiveness, well, they, they begin by getting to the individual beneath the injury. It's a spiritual discipline. It's not easy to do. It requires the work of the Spirit to guide us on that journey backward, to rewind so that you can remember the individual beneath the injury. So in the book of Genesis, there's this great story about a family and 
And this, this man's name is Joseph. He has lots of brothers. His father is Jacob. He was the apple of his father's eye. Everybody knew he was the favorite. The brothers knew that he was the favorite and they, they really gave it to him growing up. But eventually they became frustrated and really just sick and tired of his presence, his attitude, his privilege. And so they attacked him, beat him up, treated him wrong. And then they sold him into slavery to a caravan moving down to Egypt, a totally new and foreign land to him. While he was there, all hell broke loose in his own life. I mean, he was, it's one negative episode or experience after the next. He is imprisoned. He's caught in this sex scandal. And yet he was, he was guilt-free, had nothing to do with it, was framed. Well, one series of unfortunate events after the next. And, and yet in the midst of it all, leadership in the land recognized a strength in him and, and he was able to serve in the higher echelon of, of the country and the, the nation's needs. In time, he was in charge of a great many things. Well, much later, the land where his family lived, the land of his origin, experienced a famine. And so his brothers ended up coming to Egypt where you went if you sought refuge or relief. Joseph happened to be in charge of the agricultural supplies. He was in charge of dispensing relief when it was necessary. He sees his brothers coming, but they don't recognize him. He's dressed like an Egyptian with the Egyptian makeup and hat and clothes. And he, he looks Egyptian, so they don't know who he is, but he knows who they are. It's hard to forget sometimes the injuries that you pick up in your family of origin. It's easy to move forward for some, but darn near impossible when the wounding is so deep. So he remembers every face. They come and he helps them and he gives them instructions. Go back and bring your younger son, your younger brother, bring your father. And they protest a little bit, but eventually they end up coming back. And on their second return, he tries to keep up the ruse, right? He tries to keep up the charade. When he looks up and sees his family coming, it's a flashback. And he sees all in one, one shot his family that he remembers. And he rewinds to a time prior to the injury. And he breaks down. He weeps openly. He reveals the secret. And the beginning of their reconciliation has begun. It's hard work to rewind. To go back to a time before the hurt, the injury, the wounding. But if you can, it is such a strength because it is the beginning step of being made new. Thich Nhat Hanh says, if you have a hard time forgiving your father for some injury that he caused you, some abuse, some trouble, try this. Try thinking about your father as a five-year-old boy. Yeah. Can you hold that image in your mind for just a moment? The five-year-old version of your father before he said the things he said or didn't say the things that he needed to say. The five-year-old version of your father, the one who hurt you before the hurt came. Because if you can hold that image, then your heart can soften and you rewind to a place 
where reconciliation can begin. And I say to you, whoever it is who has harmed you, could you allow God to hold the image of that person before you and ask God to take you back to a place to rewind and remind you of what was good in the Eden of your relationship before anybody ate any kind of fruit. So the first step is to rewind. But the second step of reconciling is to relinquish. So Joel Gregory tells this story about a a huge disagreement, a dispute, a theological feud between two great reformers of the 16th century. The great German reformer Martin Luther was at odds with the Swiss reformer Ulrich Zwingli. I mean, between the two of them and other reformers, they set Europe on fire with renewal and reform allowing a new way to see, a new lens through which to look, to think about your faith and being alive in Christ. And yet, they disagreed on a very important matter. They almost agreed on 100% of everything else, but this one matter they completely disagreed. It was the nature of the Lord's Supper. Martin Luther believed in the corporeal presence of Christ, He believed that the bread and the cup become the body of Christ like fire in iron, right? But Zwingli, more like contemporary Baptists, believed that the the bread and cup were symbolic, that they were emblems of something higher. And while they agreed on almost every other thing, their disagreement on this matter was huge. It was a very public feud In fact, they began to to call out each other publicly and and hurl insults in public newspapers and writings. The German would call the Swiss the devil and the Swiss would throw it right back at him. It got so so vile and unchristian and so dangerous that local law enforcement actually had to insist that they both gather together around one table to work out their differences. So one day... These two 46-year-old theologians gathered at opposite sides of a table. And when they did, Martin Luther, steaming mad, took a piece of chalk and wrote upon the surface of the table, This is my body. And he stood his ground, wouldn't give an inch. And Zwingli, knowing that they would never see eye to eye on the matter, reaches his hand out across the table to his brother in Christ. And he begs Luther to take his hand, the hand of brotherhood, that they may reunite in solidarity. And that German reformer, Martin Luther, froze with his hands at his side and refused to take the hand of brotherhood. And on a Monday... These two saw one another for the very last time. Never spoke a word to one another again. 
later when Zwingli died on the battlefield. It was said that Martin Luther was heard mumbling, he deserved it. Now, while you and I may have our biggest disagreements with others, not over theology or, or something as lofty as, as the, the, the idea of transubstantiation in the Lord's Supper, it really doesn't matter what the matter is. Because eventually, your problem and mine, well, it's the same problem as Luther. Sometimes we stay stuck in unreconciled relationships because we refuse to relinquish. We refuse to let go, to release whatever it is that keeps us at odds with the other. And it may be that we, we refuse to relinquish because we, we want to hold on to the power of resentment. Because as as unhealthy as it is and as, as sick as it sounds, you know it's true. Sometimes we'll hold on to our resentment because it feels more comforting to hold and lord over another person anger over an offense. Like a, like a warm blanket, we'll wrap ourselves in resentment and refuse to reconcile because we don't want to let go. Others of us refuse to relinquish control. And some of us, maybe like Luther, refuse to relinquish because we don't want to admit that we may not be right. The idea of relinquishing and moving forward in reconciliation with someone scares us because we're afraid maybe they'll think that I think they're right. And if they think I think they're right, then they must assume that I think I'm wrong and I'm not wrong. And we refuse to relinquish being right. What, what if the pathway to reconciliation for you has nothing to do with being right? What if we could relinquish the desire to be proven right, to be vanquished, to be somehow lauded as the winner. Well, about the same time across the ocean, there was an interesting tradition underway. It seems that when indigenous peoples were at war with one another, it wasn't uncommon to come to a curious kind of peace treaty. One of the most well-known was between the Mohawk, the Oneida, the Onondaga, the uh, Cayuga, and the uh, Seneca nations proud nations who were tired of warring with one another. So in solidarity, they gathered around a white oak. And beneath the deep roots of that white oak, they brought symbols of their warfare, weapons, knives, spears, arrows. They brought tomahawks. And they buried these symbols of their war between one another under the deep roots of this white oak. And an underground river, it was said, magically took all of the war weapons away, all of the instruments of warfare away, and they would be in solidarity from that day forward. That's where we get, of course, the phrase, time to bury the hatchet. And I'm curious if there is anyone in your life with whom it's time 
to bury the hatchet, to simply let it go. You know, the key to reconciliation is really the same thing that's at the key to our faith, at the heart of faith in Jesus Christ. And it is this relinquishment. Yeah. Jesus Christ relinquished every right and privilege that he had in order to reach out to a broken humankind. It came at great risk to himself. And, and he was the one of all of the, the, the race. He was the one who was perfect and sinless and yet winning and being right was nowhere as important to God as being reconciled. Yeah. But when I say it's time to re relinquish, I don't simply mean that the thing that happened to you is no longer wrong. I don't mean that there doesn't need to be justice. I don't mean that there doesn't need to be some kind of um, agreement on how to not be victimized again, right? What I mean is you're not relinquishing into thin air as if nothing ever happened. What you're doing is you're relinquishing at the foot of the cross. You're burying the hatchet of your animosity and anger and rage. You're burying it in the dirt of the cross that also soaked up the blood of the Christ. Yeah. When we relinquish in Christ, we're letting the cross do what the cross was intended to do, absorb every injury and every pain and every wound that keeps us from one another. Miriam Williamson, uh, uh, Marian Williamson said, you know, sometimes if you live with unreconciled relationships, if you live with unforgiveness, well then unforgiveness is like you drinking poison and expecting the other person to die is not going to happen. And reconciliation means you don't have to die because someone else has already done so for you. So the first step to reconciling, yes, is to rewind to a time before so that you can see the individual beneath the injury. And the, and the second step is, yes, to learn to relinquish at the foot of the cross any pain that keeps you separated. But there is a third a third step in reconciling and it's reach. So in Ireland there is this this phrase known as chancing one's arm, that's not familiar to you or to me, but many uh, of the Irish would know because there's a story that goes behind it. In Dublin, at St. Patrick's Cathedral, there is this door, and this door has this strangely, roughly hewn hole right in the middle of the door. They call this door the door of reconciliation. Turns out that Back in 1492, the same year that Columbus sailed the ocean blue, right? In the same year in Ireland, two prominent families were feuding with one another. This was a massive feud that went on for years. 
And one family would take retribution against the other. Another family then would take revenge back against the other. The families were the Ormonds and the Kildares. In fact, Gerald Fitzgerald, the Earl of Kildare, had laid siege one day to Sir uh, James Butler, the Earl of Ormond, chased him into the cathedral church there. And all of the people who had followed with Ormond had barricaded themselves beneath and behind the barriers of this door. Well, the siege went on for a long time. In fact, it went on so long that Kildare on the outside with all of his men began to question, what, what, what are we doing here? I mean, we, we worship the same God in the same church, in the same country, and we're, and we're killing each other. So he called out for peace. He called to those who were hiding behind the door inside the church for peace. In fact, it was said that uh, he took it upon his honor that if Ormond would emerge, uh, he would receive, great phrase, no villainy. No villainy would beseech him. So he called out and promised peace, but he heard nothing in return. So he took a spear and he began to create a hole in the middle of the door at the church. And after he had created this hole just wide enough at great risk to his own safety, out of an effort to reconcile, he places his whole arm through the hole, waiting with an outstretched hand of reconciliation and a hand on the inside of the church grabbed his hand. And the latches of the door were heard opening and the door flung open and they embraced in brotherly love. And then the phrase became known of chancing one's arm. If you and I have any hope of reconciling with the one we have lost fellowship with, it requires chancing one's arm. This is what Jesus did for us in Christ God was reaching through the hole of our sin and, and barrier and division, the wall of separation between us, and has grabbed us in our desperation to be reconciled. But here is the undeniable truth about reconciliation. Those who have been reconciled, God demands that we reconcile. So Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is talking about uh, being at the altar of worship, making your offering in worship. And if you're at the altar of worship and you, and you remember that someone has something against you, Jesus said that you are to leave your gift at the altar and first go and be made reconciled with your brother or sister. And after you have reconciled with them, then come back and continue to give your gift in worship. If you come to worship at the altar to get right with God, the Son of God says you can't get right with God until you are willing to make an attempt to get right with others. And that requires reaching. 
I know that this is hard news to hear. But the truth is we don't reach on our own. If compelled by love, we reach out to reconcile with someone we have lost fellowship over, it is the Christ in us doing the reaching. Sometimes it takes a long time. But with God, it's a perfect timing. So in 1913, uh, there was a great reunion on the battlefield at Gettysburg. It had been 50 years since that great and terrible battle that took place over three consecutive days. And on that day in 1913, thousands of old veterans bivouacked on the old battlefields. They sang songs. They rekindled old friendships and alliances. And for the most part, they, they got along pretty well, considering that 50 years before they were killing each other. Well, one night at a local restaurant in Gettysburg, uh, some arguments got out of hand. And one old Yank and one old Reb went after each other with a dinner fork. <laughs> one of them sustained injuries that were almost mortal. It almost killed him. 50 years before, they survived the throes of battle unscathed and almost died by tableware. But the event took place over three days. And the culminating event was a recreation of the Battle of Gettysburg on the third day. Pickett's Charge. Thousands of, of Union soldiers gathered all across the, the stone fence at, at Cemetery Hill. And they looked across that great and terrible field of death so many years before to see emerging from the trees thousands of their rebel rivals. This time, as they made their way across the field, recreating the battle, they didn't carry guns and bayonets. They, they carried canes and crutches. And just as they made it to the final rise, right before the crest of Cemetery Hill, these rebels with old and croaked voices yelled out one final rebel yell. And when they did, there was a groan that swept across the Union veterans all across the line. It was too much to take. And they, they rose up and, and burst from beneath and behind their barriers. And they, they flung themselves on their former enemies, this time not in mortal combat, but embracing in brotherly love. All had been reconciled. Now listen, I don't know how long it's been since you have needed to reconcile with whomever it is that you're thinking about right now. But I do know this. God is up to reconciling this world, and that includes you. And maybe the prayer that we offer today is one of humility where we confess what we have talked about here. God, we, we know that you have, you have sent your Son that all the world might be reconciled to you. And we recognize that the reconciled, God, are called to reconcile. So help me today to rewind to a place prior to the offense. Help me to see with your eyes the individual beneath the injury. Help me to relinquish when I have white 
knuckles from the grip I hold on to my hate and my anger and my resentment. Help me to relinquish by faith just as you relinquished all of your rights and all of your comforts and privileges. And Lord, help me to, to reach, knowing that it's not me reaching out, but it's you reaching through me to bring healing, not just to my family and my relationships and friendships, but to all who you bring before me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.